Welcome back to Discourse from the Big Chair. I'm Steve Cuff, and if you don't know what this podcast is, you probably shouldn't start with this episode. You might want to go back to the beginning. What this is, is a mini-podcast series about the band Tears for Fears. To my knowledge, it's probably the most popular Tears for Fears podcast in the world. At least top three. At least top three. Although, yeah, it might be the only one. (laughs) Um, We started this because Steve Coleman over here is a big Tears for Fears fan. And as of a couple months ago, I was not. I'd never really listened to them other than the you know big radio hit singles. So we decided to go through their discography together, listen to all their albums, discuss the albums once at a time, one at a time. Uh, Steve obviously has a ton of knowledge about the band and the albums and uh, just everything that was going on with them. And that's cool because I'm just listening to the records. I wasn't you know reading into the bands or anything. So if you've been following along, we finished all of Tears for Fears studio albums. So this is at least until Tears for Fears releases another record, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably going to be our final episode for some time. Uh, with that in mind, we're going to go over you know, some of the B-sides, some of the things that we may have glossed over. We're going to talk about uh, some of the, the comments that we've received from people, uh, feedback, things like that. And of course, a week ago, we saw Tears for Fears live Ooh. in Detroit, Michigan. Actually, it was in Sterling Heights, Michigan. The fourth largest city in Michigan. Yeah, which we <laughs> learned when uh, one of the other people we went with was like, oh, this is a big city. And I, I laughed because I grew up in the area. And I was like, no, Sterling Heights is just a sleepy suburb. It, there can't be that many people. Fourth largest city in Michigan. Although, I don't know, what if you're like the largest city in Wyoming? I mean, that's it's still not saying much. Or the fourth largest city yeah. in Wyoming. Fourth largest city in Wyoming. What's it's that? only you and two other people. That's it. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit about the live show. So, can we talk about the opening band first, just really quick? You want to talk about Berlin? Did they I, take I, your breath away? They, it, they really did. So, my favorite thing about Berlin... Well, I had a lot of favorite <clears> things. Uh, first of all... Berlin is still, like, killing it in 2015. Like, tons of energy. Well, I was so surprised that their merchandise actually, like, dwarfed Tears for Fears' merchandise. Like, they took over that merch booth. Oh, absolutely. Like, there was one Tears for Fears shirt, and there was, like, ten different Berlin items that you could buy. Which I thought was a little bit odd, to say the least. (laughs) Um, But, anyways, there was a guy there who was (laughs) right up front, like front row and he looked like tom cruise he was wearing sunglasses maverick yeah he was dressed as maverick he had like sunglasses on and like a bomber jacket and Mm -hmm. then he had um like a top gun t-shirt and he was just like walking around during take my breath away like taking selfies with people which is funny but it's also kind of sad because if you think about it He probably got there two hours early, dressed like Tom Cruise, just so Take My Breath Away could play, and he could be like, huh? Huh? Look at this. And those were expensive seats that he was in, too. <laughs> yeah, right. I he was near like the front. $50 for a joke that, I, I don't know. And he left right after, too. That's it. He just he just <laughs> came to be Tom Cruise. <laughs> so that, that was pretty incredible. That was pretty pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. I think it's basically just Terry Noon and whoever she hires to tour with her. But uh, yeah, I well, mean, and and she, I think, like the, the even the merchandise <laughs> for Berlin was just like her name and Berlin, like underneath <laughs> it, you know. 
So, eh, they were they were okay. They were okay. But I gotta say, I was really really impressed by Tears for Fears. Yeah, like I didn't know what to expect, and I was just sort of going off of my experience seeing. Uh, you know, legacy acts and whatnot in the past, and this was not in any way, shape, or form a typical like, oh, legacy act dad rock band show. Far from it. Yeah, it was um, really good, really good. I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, I know they're starting to get this reputation for being a really great live act, mm-hmm. um, which is something you wouldn't have said about them in their prime. Uh, not that they weren't any good live back in the '80s, but I think that they were more known for their studio output now. Ever since they've done like Bonnaroo, a couple of days before we saw them, they did the TBD Festival in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So like sharing the stage with Dinosaur Jr. and Chromio. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I was really happy to hear that that was your feeling, that was your reaction to it. What were like some of your favorite parts of the show? Um, I, well, I loved hearing some of the tracks from Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, uh, mm-hmm. specifically track one off of that record. Like when they played that, I actually got really excited. <laughs> Yeah, we we both did, and we were, I swear, we were the only people standing. Everybody else was, like, going out for a beer run, because it wasn't, like, you know, from 1985. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was, like, I was super excited, because that was one of the <laughs> songs that I had earmarked. Like, I, I want to hear this live. I really want to hear this live. I was a little bit disappointed that they only, I think it was that and Secret World, I want to say. Yeah. Were the only two they played off of that record. I was hoping for a couple more. I was a little disappointed by that, too. Um, I mean, I've had the good fortune of seeing them several times, and every time I've seen them, they've played at least three to four songs off of that record. And so this is the mm-hmm. first time I've seen Tears for Fears where they didn't play Call Me Mellow, which yeah. was kind of a weird experience for me personally. Um, so yeah, I was sad to see a lot of that album not in the set list. Sure. Uh, at the same time, they played a lot of tracks off the hurting, which I really appreciated. Yeah, uh, they really had like a, that an eighties block, um, and there were only uh, there was only like a little period I'd say towards the end where it it <clears> sort of <throat> dipped into a lull. Um, I think they did a couple of tracks off of uh, "Sowing the Seeds of Love," mm-hmm. and aside from the title track, it, it just it kind of took the air out of things. I think like there was a lot of energy in the show, and then they did "Bad Man Song" and "Woman in Chains," and it was just like. Phew, Sucked all the energy out. Yeah, I think putting those songs, especially in that order, like oh, I think yeah. Bad Man's song is a good song to play live, but you really kind of need to have it sandwiched between two, I think, quicker songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though Woman in Chains is obviously this huge fan favorite, and I think even a song that non-fans would have known, um, it did affect the energy a little bit. I did notice that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, they were both followed by uh, uh, their cover of Creep, yeah, by radio, which is the Radiohead song, which is kind of weird. It's yeah. just kind of out of nowhere. I mean, they, Especially when they could have played their Animal Collective or their yeah, Arcade yeah. Fire song, which I would have really appreciated. That's and I was really hoping for that. Um, well, well, although I would say I would take an original Tears for Fear song over a cover mm-hmm. of another artist's song. Um, I mean, not to say not to say anything bad about their cover of Creep. I mean, it's perfectly fine. Yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting and it's kind of funny. But yeah, I. In that moment, I was kind of like, this could have been another song off Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, or it could have been their cover of Arcade Fire, mm-hmm. which, I mean, their cover of Ready to Start, I actually prefer to the Arcade Fire version. I would agree with that as well. Totally um, make it their own. Yeah, I think their version is the superior version. Uh, well, and the other interesting thing about the Creep song, well, there was a couple of things that stuck out to me when they started playing that. Uh, one was, I mean, Kurt just took a powder, like... <laughs> 
Yeah, he just kind of sat on the, on the drum riser. Which is funny, too, because the original Creep by Radiohead is so, like, bass groove heavy. Like, that's what drives the song. So the, mm. the two standout things from that song are the bass groove and then Johnny Greenwood doing the famous, like, you know, the yeah. thing on the guitar, which neither of those were really there. So it was kind of like, huh, okay. And the other thing that stuck out to me, too, was throughout the night, people sang along to a couple songs, but there wasn't a lot of singing along. But when they played Creep, the whole place sang yeah. along with Roland Orzabal. I was just like, that's kind of weird. Like, that are was you guys going to sing along to the other songs, maybe? <laughs> yeah, like they'll sit down for uh, Secret World or Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. But yeah, as soon as they played Creep, everybody was like... Which, I mean, maybe that's why they do it. I think the they've had a lot of good reactions to covering that song. They cover Billie sure. Jean every now and then, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and that cover of Creep actually has a pretty long history, too, because Roland Orsville would cover it during the Elemental Tour. And I remember Radiohead opened for them in Las Vegas in 93. Oh. And apparently Radiohead is not a big fan, <laughs> or they weren't big fans of his cover. Really, um, and apparently at the show, like they were saying, the Tears for Fears road crew kind of treated them like crap, so they wound up breaking all the uh, spotlights on the stage before they went off. Jesus! But then it turns out it was actually Oingo Boingo who was also on. The- By the way, if we can go to a concert in 1993 and there's Radiohead, Oingo Boingo, and Tears for Fears, I would be very happy to go to that show. Holy shit! That would be really <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, that that's ridiculous. I would love to hear Dead Man's Party live. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the ultimate jam. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, too, because, especially because we saw Tears for Fears in Detroit, Radiohead famously did not play Detroit, or Metro Detroit, like mm. Sterling Heights. Uh, they didn't play Detroit for, jeez, like 20 years. Like, oh. they played on the Pablo Honey tour in, like, 93, and then after that, they they didn't come back until, oof, I don't even know, late, like, aughts. <laughs> it was a long, long time. And one of the reasons was, was because there was a rumor that they had a bad experience at the show in Detroit. Like, they didn't get treated the way they thought they should have been. So, Which they like, took their ball and went home. Come on, guys. Blame the venue, not the town. Yeah. Especially when it's like, oh wow! So you you were treated poorly when I was eight years old, and <laughs> here I am at eighteen, driving with my friends to Cleveland because you you wouldn't show up. Oh, and you had to go all the way to Cleveland. All the way to Cleveland. I saw him in Cleveland, and uh, I actually saw him twice in in one year. Um, I saw him in like summer two thousand four at Coachella hmm. in California. Me and my friends flew out for that. Uh, and then we drove to Cleveland like uh, a few months after that, but it was like right before the Hail to the Thief or whatever album, oh, yeah. so which is when I stopped caring. So it was a good time. That's when I saw them too, two thousand three, Alpine Valley. Hey, there you go. This is a Tears for Fears podcast. Tears for Fears by podcast. Yeah, that's uh, what we're talking about. But <laughs> uh, so, so anyways, the live show. And, and while we're on the topic of other bands, <laughs> I need to have a moment here. Uh, And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back through and I'm going to find the moment where I said this. And I'm going to drop it in right here. 
we're, we're getting into this territory where Tears for Fears is basically turning into this, like, version of, like, Sting and U2 sort of melded together. There's, oh, there's kind no, of really? Under, yeah, there's, there's kind of, like, an underlying, like, adult contemporary vibe slash, like, rock, arena rock music that your dad likes, you know? Uh, and and U2 has that, and, and even the album cover, if you look at the album cover of Elemental, if you're listening right now, go, go Google it. Get, get the Google image search going. It's very reminiscent for me of, like, the Joshua Tree album cover. Oh, God. <laughs> so. And, you know, you're talking earlier about how this sounds like Tears for Fears being U2. Yeah. I guess I can see that Power is probably the most U2 sounding Tears for Fear song. Oh, absolutely. And, and I still haven't found oh, what I'm looking for. Sorry. I am a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> so, I told Steve, what was, the, what was this on? Was this the Elemental episode? Uh, yeah. Okay. On the Elemental episode, I, I upset I upset Steve quite a bit because <laughs> I compared Elemental to a U2 record. And he was just like, oh, no. And then when we saw Tears for Fears live, <laughs> uh, Tears for Fears started, like, in the middle of one of their own songs. Was it Badman's song? Or yeah, what was it? it was yeah, like during, during the Bad Man Badman song. Uh, they... I don't know, during the breakdown or something, he just started singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And there's actually a moment in the Elemental podcast where I'm playing the song and over it I am singing, and I still haven't found. <laughs> well, I just, and when that moment happened too, I swear I was the only person who said anything in that crowd of like 7,000 people. I was just like, no! <laughs> I thought, I, oh my God. I wish, I wish you could have taken a picture. Like my face lit up. I was so happy. Not because I wanted to hear a U2 song because I don't like U2, but just because I could be like, ha ah, ah. I'm not even sure why he did it. It seemed just like apropos of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um... Because he knows. I like to think that he listened to the podcast <laughs> and is totally on my side and is just like, ha shove it. Yeah, well, he did. He did. Congratulations. Right down we... your throat. That's but, why they uh... call me Nostradamus. I saw it before it even happened. <laughs> uh, well, talk a little bit more about the set list. I know you've seen Tears <laughs> for Fears quite a few times. Um, it, it's weird, and I don't often say this, but they played for like an hour and a half but it felt short to me. Like, yeah. I felt like they could have played for two hours, and I would have been happier if they played for two hours, which, by the way, is a big compliment for me, because I don't think I, I rarely ever say that about a band. Huh. Well, I think, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the venue they, that they were at had some sort of curfew, because it was outdoors, mm-hmm. and we got out shortly before, like, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, because, the, yeah, the set list, and like I said, they played a little over an hour and a half, which is perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really expect more. But yeah, the the set it, the set list itself is only fifteen songs deep, which for them that's the shortest set list of theirs I've ever seen. Usually they do up to eighteen songs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was a little I wasn't disappointed, but it's like God, I could have used at least two or three more songs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the curfew thing actually makes sense because there's mm-hmm. two. Well, one, it was an outdoor venue, and it's in Sterling Heights, which is. 
uh, if you're listening right now, pick a major city in the United States and just find like the most white bread, boring suburb humanly possible. <laughs> That's what Sterling Heights is. Uh, so that would make sense that there's a, a noise restriction there. And the other thing is, there was a huge crowd, which I did not expect. Like traffic was backed up getting yeah, into. Yeah, we were the late venue. for Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we almost missed Berlin's set. <laughs> they started promptly at 7.30. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, and then when we left, there was like, po- the police had blocked off the street. And, and then we were just like ushered out and it was it was crazy. Like, I couldn't believe that that was happening. That it never happened before at a show there that I'd been to. Mm-hmm. Although I, I never missed the, or I never see the big acts. I always went and saw, you know. Fog hat? Fog hat. <laughs> I did see Fog hat. Which, by the way, one more <laughs> brief aside. Please uh, don't compare Tears for Fears to Fog. I'm not going to compare Tears for Fears to Fog. Uh, when I saw Fog Hat, uh, they, of course, uh, you know, they, they, I think they opened with a Slow Ride and they closed with I Just Want to Make Love to You because you have to bookend with the hits. And opening for, it was like Fog Hat, Starship, and then Mountain. Mountain. That's right. So Mountain, <laughs> if you're a music fan, uh, they were a basically like forgettable blues rock band. They're basically like watered down fog hat. <laughs> Is that fair? <laughs> From the 1970s. And their only hit was a song called Mississippi Queen. So, how does fog hat in, you know, the year 2005 or whenever I saw them, how do they possibly fill a whole set? Especially when I don't know how many of the original members are actually in. <laughs> Their band right now. The answer is they start with Mississippi Queen and they end with Mississippi Queen, and that is another reason why I have immense respect for Tears for Fears. Like they <laughs> they fill it in. They play the whole discography. It's not like they were just playing stuff off songs for the Big Chair because that's the big hit album. Mm-hmm. Like they they actually played a lot of stuff. Like they played a song off of Ele- Elemental, which yeah was not like a big smash hit album. Kurt Smith didn't even play on it. So I, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it, it definitely, with the exception, it seemed like the set was like split into like three different parts. You know, there was like the first five songs, which were kind of a mix of all eras in one. And then they went into like the Hurting era, and then mm-hmm. they went into the Seeds of Love era. Um, yeah. So the songs were split like almost chronologically for the last two thirds of the set, which is something that I thought was pretty interesting. They've, I've never seen them do that before. Um, and I think it worked really well, especially for the hurting period. With the Seeds of Love period, it was maybe a little bit more difficult, at least as far as like holding the crowd's attention. Mm-hmm. I'm talking more for like casual fans who were just there because they won tickets. Yeah, <laughs> there was a couple behind that was sitting behind us before Tears for Fears came out. I just remember they were talking, and they said, "Yeah, I don't even know what they look like." There's <laughs> there's two of them, right? There's two of them. Ah, yeah. Oh, they only man. had one album, and then, oh Jesus! I think they left like midway through the set, probably because we were standing the whole time. Yeah, yeah. But well, and I think they were definitely in the minority. Min- yeah, I can't talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've had uh, you know a couple glasses of whiskey. Um, I think they were definitely in the minority because normally when you go to a concert at that venue, uh, we always used to joke like if you wanted to see a concert at Freedom Hill. All you had to do was get your hair cut, 
because <laughs> it was it's because like those, those it things where you you like walk into any like you know supercuts or something or bow rigs <laughs> and there's a stack of tickets to go see like you know poison and warrant or something like that like you could go anywhere you walk into a liquor store you buy a six pack they just hand you tickets to some show at freedom hill like uh but that didn't seem to be the case here like people mm-hmm. were super into it even when we got there and we were kind of you know waiting around to meet up with you guys and whatnot there's people in their cars, like, singing, blasting music. It was crazy. I could not believe that there were so many diehard fans. And the people in front of us were insane. Yeah, yeah. They were completely nuts. I mean, I know we were kind of laughing at them a lot, but uh, I, I appreciated their uh, their their lust. <laughs> yeah, they were uh, very passionate. A lot of schutzpah. A lot of schutzpah. <laughs> they were just, they had, like... They weren't just dancing. They had, like, specific dance moves that corresponded to the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, they choreographed it. Yeah, song. like, it was all choreographed, and they were singing along, and then there was, like, there was, like, this back and forth, like, uh, Rowan was, was just like, oh, hey, you know, it's it's great to see old fans and new fans and blah, 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 and the guy in front was like, we've been listening to you for 30 years, we love you. It's like, yeah. wow, man. God bless you. God bless you. Kudos to that to that couple, if you're listening, yeah, you made the show that much more enjoyable. You for made us. it, yeah, you made it great, absolutely <laughs> great. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a great show, great show overall. Um, do you have any, anything else you want to say about the experience? Or? Not really. I mean, it's it, I am continually impressed, and this isn't me just talking as a fan, but um, they just seem to get better as a band every time I see them. Um, their voices are still. Right where they need to be. Um, I think that probably it probably helps that they don't tour that often, um, mm. so not wearing themselves out. But uh, the band itself is playing better and better. Um, so it makes me look forward to further tours. I'm looking forward to next time I see them. Hopefully they'll have new material to play. Mm-hmm. I know they've been saying in interviews that they're not going to play new material until they actually release new material. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's part of me that's maybe a little burned out <laughs> from seeing them so much. Yeah. But then again, if they announce that they're going to be here in Milwaukee at, like, the Paps Theater next week, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go. Yeah, no questions asked. Uh, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed they didn't play anything new, just because, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, you had mentioned that they had been working on stuff, and that's kind of an interesting approach to take to not play stuff until you actually record it and release it. Most bands kind of they kind of gauge audience reaction to new songs like, oh, how is this, you know, yeah. being taken in by fans and stuff like that and that kind of helps them tweak things during the recording process. So I mean, at the same time, I guess Tears for Fears has been doing this for a while, so I don't think they need our input, but Yeah. <laughs> Still um, it's it's an interesting approach. Yeah. And then I get it to a certain extent too, like they don't want this showing up on YouTube and all of a sudden like a song they're not even finished recording is out there and everybody knows it mm. when they're maybe still planning on changing it. Uh but yeah. So yeah. maybe next time. Well, if you don't mind transitioning, no, I want to talk not. about some of the, the wonderful <clears throat> fan interaction that we've had which has been super super cool I think that's been one of the most interesting parts about this is just um, you know because you do things you write things you do podcasts you do stuff like that and you don't always know if people are actually listening and responding to it and I have to say with this Fears for Fears podcast people have been really into it yeah 
So we've got a lot of feedback. Uh, we got some emails. We've uh, got some great responses on Twitter. I think when we were actually at the concert, yeah, somebody was tweeting so, yeah, at us. Uh, someone tweeted at us. Uh, she, I think she follows us both on Twitter. Or yeah, something, and she was Britain, just like, "Hey, at Britain, yeah, yeah." Shout out to at Britain, yeah, yeah. Who I, uh, her name's probably Brittany. So shout out to Brittany. I, I don't think know. I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she tweeted us. She's like, "Hey, I hope you guys have fun." Like yeah. that was really nice. That yeah, was cool. that was really cool. So that was cool. Um, we got a great email actually from uh, Fred here, and I, I'm, I'm going to read this. It's really nice. I <laughs> uh, said, "Steve, <clears throat> so a couple of things. I knew all along you'd become a Tears for Fears fan. I had no doubt. Their last album is second best in my book. Elemental is my favorite, but only slightly better than their last. Interesting take." Mm-hmm. Um, Advice is still my favorite song. Listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think you've ever ragged on advice. No, I don't think I did either. I think I was just like, that's oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't think I praised it, but I didn't, I didn't you know, condemn it. Um, also listening to their music on a good pair of headphones from a good source and a headphone app, that's a must, is a minimum for audio nirvana. Uh, I, I will, and, and Steve can confirm, I've got very nice headphones I have an external sound card that I normally run my stuff through when I'm not recording in my dining room with Steve Coleman right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, got, I got a good setup in there. So don't worry. But to really appreciate uh, the music and obtain Uber Nirvana, one must feel the music, and to feel it, one needs to listen to it through a good home audio system, tube amplifier preferably, a quality source, and a good pair of speakers. I don't have one of those. Um... I mean, I don't know what kidneys are going for in the black market, but I've got two. So if anybody <laughs> needs one, anybody that might, that might like pay for maybe half of a tube amplifier. Um, I, I have a I have a pretty nice setup, and mm. I don't it know. sounded nice. I just heard it a few yeah, months ago. Exactly. When Steve walked in, I was bumping some tears for fears. See, you guys, I'm, I'm a fan now. That's what I do. Actually, I was just prepping for the podcast, but I have been listening to them a lot lately. Anyways. Um, so now that you're a fan, your punishment for dissing and or ignoring Tears for Fears for all this year, uh, all these years, is that you can now not listen to Everybody Loves a Happy Ending for the next 90 days as penance. That'll teach you. <laughs> Seriously, uh, glad you're a fan. Uh, you did a great job. You and Steve uh, were good on the podcast. I listened to every single one while on the road and really enjoyed them. Um, so yeah, regards, Fred. And it's a P.S. All typos, compliments of iPhone. No typos that I notice. No. So, that was really nice to get to get that email. Did not expect that. So <laughs> shout out to Fred. And you know, while I would like to pay my penance for not listening to Tears for Fears for the better part of my life, uh, I can't do that because I really love everybody else. Happy. <laughs> it's my it's like my go to work album. Like I've been going yeah. into work and I don't know, like part of what I have to do is I have to I have to write a lot, but everything I write, I have to like have these like snappy one-liner sentences because I write like online content for different brands and stuff. It's kind of boring, but anyways, it gets me going. Like the first track, especially, it's just like, all right, I'm into it. Time to write stupid one-liners about grocery stores. Like <laughs> it gets me, it gets me going. I don't know. Anyway, uh, one of the other people who contacted us was a guy by the name of Gruno, mm-hmm. and Gruno. Has, has been he's been an avid listener, which we really appreciate. And he was not happy, along with a few other people, that I <laughs> did not few. just a few. 
Bruno, Bruno, I think he understood on some level. Yeah, yeah. Whereas some people, I was like, man, if if they knew where I live, I think they'd burn me at the stake. (laughs) There's some people who are not pleased with my uh, lack of enjoyment when it came to Raul and the Kings of Spain. (laughs) So, one of my chief complaints was that I did not like the way that the album was kind of like mixed and mastered. It sounded flat to me. I didn't like the recording. Um, you know, I, I wasn't completely in love with uh, the Seize of Love record, but I have to say the recording on it is just like jaw-dropping amazing. And then yeah. to hear Raul and the Kings of Spain, you're just like, what are you doing? So, Bruno decided to <laughs> help change my mind about the record. And he sent... Uh, me and Steve, a remastered, remixed, I don't know what he did to it, version of mm-hmm. Raul and the Kings of Spain, as well as a PDF file with some detailed notes explaining like the themes and how they relate to Roland on a personal level. So you've got like this read-along thing. So I did my homework. I followed Bruno's notes. I listened to a new version. And I will say, <laughs> I'm not in love with this record. But holy crap, the version that he sent me is so much better. Like, I was listening to it on headphones even earlier today, and one of the things that I really enjoyed about the first two Tears for Fears records is I felt like every time I listened to a song, I would pick out something new and different because there's so many layers to it, where Raul and the Kings of Spain felt kind of compressed to me. And I definitely got that this time around. I was hearing all these things like, where did that come from? Hmm. Uh, my other chief complaint was I felt like the vocals were too high in the mix and it was like the songs were fighting against Roland Orsable. <laughs> and the vocals are kind of mixed at a little bit behind the guitars now. So it just, overall, it sounds a lot better. So while <laughs> so, some of my issues with like the lyrics and stuff, you, you can't really change that. I will say... This is a better version of the record. Mm -hmm. And if a version like this came out, I can only imagine how it would have been received because it's kind of like 90s alt-rock leanings, I think, would have played well on the radio at the time. Mm -hmm. So it really makes me wonder. So what what did you think of of his remix? Yeah, I mean, Raul and the Kings of Spain is an album that's been in my life for (laughs) two-thirds of my life. Um, So to hear... And I always knew about the history, I knew about what the lyrics meant, and I knew the B-sides, but to listen to it in this specific order, that he's, the version he sent us, and read his notes, it really, yeah, it, I mean, I prefer it over the original version as well. Yeah. Um, especially because, like, there's a few songs that he put in this mix, specifically uh, Queen of Compromise, uh, War mm-hmm. of Attrition, All of the Angels, even Until I Drown, like, I think it's, like, a better version of... I think that's what he was trying to do with um, I Choose You in the original version. Sure, sure. Um, and the story makes a lot more sense. It has more of a narrative flow to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, it, and I did notice some of the mixing, too. I don't know a lot about what he did. I didn't really get into that with him that much, but it really... Uh, it, the way you hear certain guitars it's not mm-hmm. just kind of mushed together you get like the yeah. uh, the full uh, full experience well for lack of a better term when you hear a Tears for Fears record uh, at least the early stuff and uh, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending the production on it, it it almost sparkles if that 
makes it like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I and that's that's the only way I can really describe it. And I think when he tweaked the recordings for Raul and the Kings of Spain, I mean, you you can't once something's recorded, that's it's it's recorded. But mm. I think he was able to add a lot of depth to it, and it has that that sparkle to it that I really appreciate on their other records. So good job, and thank you, Bruno, and thank you for listening, and thank you for. Um, just interacting with us, sending us messages on Facebook, like that, that's been really cool. Yeah. And thanks to everyone. Uh, a lot of people have been, you know, commenting on optimismvaccine.com, uh, engaging in dialogue with us, and that's, that's really cool. It's, it's nice to hear from people. Also, some people have been hounding me. They're like, Steve, you keep saying these things are going up on YouTube and they're not on YouTube. They're going to go up on YouTube. It's just, <laughs> I, I want, I want to get this all done so I can upload them as a playlist kind of like all together. So mm-hmm. as soon as this goes up on iTunes, they're all going up on YouTube. Uh, we'll tweet out links and everything. So if you guys want to listen that way, you're more than welcome to. Uh, one of the other things I want to talk about, Steve, is before before we get into before Tears for Fears, I want to talk about <laughs> the last thing that they've, the last original song yeah. that they've recorded, which I have somewhere here, but it's like lost in this giant mess that I have. Here it is. Here it is. And I'm going to have to drop this in later. But at least we can hear it. Mm-hmm. So this song is called Floating Down the River Once Again. And I would say it might be one of their best songs. Like, oh, yeah, it's absolutely. It's really, 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 really good. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's so much fun. And it's, I don't know, it's a logical continuation of what they were doing on Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Mm-hmm. And... That record is so, it, it's so like kind of like brick pop, guitar pop driven, and this sort of introduces some of the uh, keyboards and stuff, and it's it's just super fun. It's yeah. so much fun. Um, this is another song that I play for people who maybe aren't necessarily Tears for Fears fans, and they're just like, they're on board right away. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I agree, I think it's one of their best songs ever, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of a tragedy just because like it's a very buried treasure yeah um they released it on like this generic gold compilation that universal put out and their caveat was like all right we'll let you do this generic compilation let us record one original song so at least it's not like the same crap like yeah so at least fans have a reason to go out and get this sure sure and like that has pretty much disappeared um, so in that so and because of that like this song has sort of disappeared mm-hmm. although they were performing this live and I hate to admit like I was looking at playlists that they did like they were in Toronto the night after we saw them in Detroit mm-hmm. and they played the song I was like oh god oh, no way that would have been so great to hear and I've heard them play it live before but like I really man. miss not hearing it in Detroit maybe we should have gone on a road trip to Toronto man yeah we were uh when we were driving back to our seedy hotel in Detroit, <laughs> so seedy, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I kicked a cockroach on you, by the way. Yeah, that... <laughs> we went out drinking afterwards, and Steve was trying to take a picture of a cockroach scurrying <laughs> around outside of this bar in Detroit, <clears throat> and he kicked it, and he and he kicked it on my leg. <laughs> so he's a horrible person, basically. Um, but anyways, when we were driving back to our seedy hotel, um, I almost. Drove us to Canada because there was a bunch of construction and uh, mm-hmm. it was close, close call. Almost ended up there, but damn, yeah, I would have loved to hear that. Yeah, and it, it excites me because I don't know if that's the exact direction they're going to be taking on the new record, mm-hmm. but I mean, since that's the last thing they've ever done together, at least bodes well. Like, hey, they still got a lot of uh, 
proverbial gas left in the tank. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> it makes me respect them on just a completely different level, too, because I think there's a tendency when bands get older, um, they either sort of get to this point where they turn to like introspection and they just record songs that are a little bit, I don't know, they, they lose their kind of pop sensibilities and they become mm. more introspective, which isn't necessarily bad. Um, or they just try and rehash things that they did in the past, but it just doesn't work in mm. the present. And when you hear this song, there's like so much energy behind it, and it's so different from anything that's going on in popular music or independent music, and it's just, it's refreshing. Yeah. Which is crazy. Bands that have been making albums for 30 years, 35 years, for, I mean, just forever. They don't make music that's refreshing. That's not a yeah. thing at all. I can't think of another band that does that. I mean, can you off the top of your head? No, absolutely not. I mean, yeah. this is this would be my go-to example. It's Yeah, it's crazy. So my plan, now that I'm a Tears for Fears fan, and uh, I've got like the secret insider knowledge that in 2004, or I guess this was what, 2005 or something probably? Yeah, 2005, 2006. Yeah. Like. Uh, so during that period, they just were recording some amazing, like some of the best music of their career. Uh, anytime I make a CD for someone from here on out, I'm going to try and sneak one of these tracks in there and then just blow their mind when I tell them who it is. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do Especially when people are like Oh I hate blank band I'm like hmm they're pretty good I bet I can sneak a song on a CD for you And you'll really like it and not know oh, who yeah. it is This is one of the ultimate bands to do that with <laughs> I like it And it's it's true too because Even so one of our friends Adam Myros uh, Who also writes for Optimism Vaccine mm-hmm. He came with us to the concert And he wasn't doing what I was doing He hadn't listened to Tears for Fears I mean he was familiar with Shout, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and... Uh, Mad World. Mad maybe. World, yeah. <laughs> and that was it. And then he was he was into it. He had a good time. So, yeah. there you go. Except Tears for Woman Fears, in Chains, man. apparently. Except for Woman in Chains. Which turns out to be Sean Glynnis' favorite Tears for Fears song. Yeah. Sean Glynnis is, of Optimism Vaccine. Yeah, which is... Oh, yeah, these are the two guys that came with us. Totally weird. Totally weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if, uh, if you were at the Detroit show and you saw a guy in dress clothes and suspenders with... Hair like the lead character from Eraserhead. He's a Tears for Fears fan now. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, one of the other things I want to talk about uh, before we wrap everything up is you sent me a band called Graduate. Mm -hmm. And Graduate is Roland and Kurt before Tears for Fears was a thing. Them and uh, some of their uh, school friend lads. Some of their lads? From math. <laughs> so this is a funny <laughs> record in a lot of ways. And it's it's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's just... It sounds like exactly what it is. Which is, what if a bunch of high school kids like were like, Oh, we love all these bands. Let's write songs that sound like them. <laughs> <laughs> so like the, the first track... Called Acting My Age, it just sounds like a like a Elvis Costello B side. Mm-hmm. And you were telling me that there's like the uh, the song on here, Elvis should play ska, is actually like an Elvis Costello diss track in a way. Yeah, and that song Elvis should play ska was like uh, the closest they ever came to having a hit single. I think they were a big hit in Spain, and then like shortly after that they just mm-hmm. broke up because they weren't finding success anywhere. 
but yeah, it's an Elvis Costello diss track. There's even lyrics where uh, they're specifically referencing Elvis Costello's songs, like, so go and look for clues with the help of your detectives. Mm-hmm. They don't want your red shoes. Um, and I think it stemmed from a quote from Elvis Costello saying that, like, all these two-tone ska bands are going to be, like, yesterday's news. Like, it's just a trend. It's just a phase. Well, he's right. I mean. He was right. Which is weird because, like, <laughs> I think Elvis Costello produced a specials album, too. Yeah. So I he was that. part of that whole movement. And I know Graduate, which was, I mean, it's basically Roland Orzabal wrote most of this material. But mm-hmm. they're in this democratic society where they've got... At least four other bandmates, mm-hmm. um, which is why the, him and Kurt left the band. But uh, they were often mislabeled as a ska two tone band, which which they is hilarious because they're not at all. They're like I don't know, like this is sort of pop punk, but not in yeah. like the '90s sense, like in the late '70s, early '80s sense. It actually reminds me a lot of what was going on with Canadian punk music. Really? Uh, in, in like this period, late 70s, early 80s, yeah, so bands like DRI, uh, Pointed Sticks, which remind me, I will send you a, a link to the Pointed Sticks record, but Pointed Sticks are basically a little bit more refined version of what Graduate mm-hmm. is, is doing here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun record, and there's, there's yeah. parts that are better than others. There's one song on here, I think it's Shut Up, I want to say, or <laughs> yeah. Love That Is Bad, I can't remember which one it is, but one of them... It falls into the Tears for Fears trap, where they write a good pop song, but then it goes on for six minutes. <laughs> like, it's probably Love That Is Bad. I think Love That Is Bad, yeah, because I was listening to... T- so I feel like Shut Up's like a pretty quick song. Yeah, I think Shut Up is... Yeah, I think Shut Up's like a two-minute one. Um, but it's just... It's it's classic Roland Orzabal songwriting, and this is just a little <laughs> rib at him. I love him. He writes amazing pop songs. But some of his songs are just like, what? This is... How is this so long? And that's what this song is, like... They just sing the refrain for two minutes straight at the end or something. It's like, you guys could have cut this. Uh, my favorite, though, let me see if I can find it on here. Is this it? Oh, please be it. No? Oh, no, that's not Dancing it. Days? <laughs> not Dancing Days. Come on, where is it? This is important. Serious podcast business. This is compelling radio here. Um, oh my god, where is it? Could take a guess. Yes. Is it ever met a day? Yes. Yeah. This is a great <laughs> song. This song is amazing. It sounds like... <laughs> like, what if it was Renaissance Fair Night at, the <laughs> at like, the uh, roller rink disco? Because <laughs> it's got, like, this disco beat, but then that... Yeah, the flute's ever-present. flute! <laughs> what are you doing? Oh god, it sounds like uh What's the what's the band with the flute player in it from the seventies? Um, Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull. <laughs> like Jethro Tull Disco? Yeah, Jethro Tull Renaissance Fair Disco. It's a it's a fun song though. It is. It's, it's like, really, really fun. It definitely like kinda of points towards their progression, I think. Like mm-hmm. this is kinda of like where they would go, at least those two guys would go. Because, yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's weird just to have, like, that disco. Even, like, this part, like, guitar kind of comes in. Mm-hmm. Then, like... Uh, uh, uh. Oh, yeah, this is a total, like, disco beat. Like, the, the whole thing is just... Which, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying, where this whole record... It's, it's not that cohesive at all. It's just, like, every single track is, like, here's a version of this popular thing that's happening right now. 
But it's it's a lot of fun. It's mm. a lot of fun. And you know what? These guys, how old were they when they recorded this oh, stuff? They were 18 at the oldest. Yeah, which is insane. Um, we talked about when we when we discussed the hurting in the first episode, how crazy it was that they were able to, you know, write an album <clears throat> that, while it can be a little bit immature lyrically at times, like so complex at a young age. And this really shows off, this, this graduate album, it shows off their musicianship and their pop songwriting chops, but also it kind of has that, I don't know, like it's got this youthful charm to it. Oh yeah, it's like, we got so many ideas, let's just get them all on tape. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's it's almost infectious. Like, I, I don't mind this. If I saw this at a used record store, I would buy it, no questions asked. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> has it ever been reissued, or... It has. I actually have the reissue. I bought it at a Virgin record store in Chicago just a few years oh, ago. Is it on vinyl, or... It's not on vinyl except for the original pressing. Oh, God. Which I, I think is pretty hard to hunt by. down at this point. You never know. You I never think, know. And they may have re-released it like in the mid-'80s when Songs from the Big Chair was a big deal. But mm-hmm. I think that they, like Roland Orsville and Kurt Smith, have kind of like disowned Cradgewood a little bit. Oh, that's too bad. I think they're kind of like, yep, we did that. We're over it. That's that's too bad. So we're never going to hear ever been a day live. <laughs> Oh, if that would have happened, I would have. I would have freaked out. Well, actually, I wouldn't have because I didn't listen to it before that. But had I known, me right now, if I heard that song live, I would be very happy. Well, you would have had to take me to the hospital because my head would have exploded. <laughs> We'd like to bring out a very special guest. It's a flute player. <laughs> like what? Killing with kindness. He's, <laughs> He's from Jethro Tull. <laughs> Which, that guy has a very specific name. I can't believe I can't remember the Jethro Tull guy's name. Yeah. Ian... Damn it. Something. Ian, Ian something. something. He's like the richest rock star besides Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. True story. He won a Grammy. For heavy metal. Yeah. And uh, there's that... that what's, what's their record that's always in the used album bin? Thick as a brick. Thick as a brick. <laughs> <laughs> something you can always count on in a used record album bin. Thick as a brick. Uh, and that one Loverboy record. Where, always got his fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed, yeah. yeah. That's always there. Oh, and also a bad Kinks record that you don't want to own. Uh, like the one where it's like... State of Confusion? Yeah, State of Confusion. That's like the that's Technicolored one. <laughs> uh, and then the other one is the one with like the mime face on it. Uh, Sleepwalkers? Sleepwalking? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's been our musical aside. Um, <laughs> oh, one more thing. Let's, let's talk about solo albums. Too, yeah. Because you, you had me... You asked me to listen to those. Um, Kurt Smith's solo album? Which I, Soul on Board? Soul on Board! <laughs> Which we here's here's my headline. <laughs> I'm not on board with Soul on Board. Uh, Kurt Smith's not on board either. He's uh, done everything to disown himself. That's disassociate himself from that album. That's good. I uh, did not enjoy that. I listened to like two tracks. I was like, nope, I'm done. It's... Uh, it's just super adult contemporary John Tesh, not my thing. I feel like if you if we go back to the Elemental episode, I think I even refer to it as homogenous goop. Yeah, homogenous goop, and it's yeah, mm-hmm. steer clear if you haven't heard it yet. Yeah, not, I mean, not, if you're a completist, maybe just to like get it in your system, but then get it out. Yeah, <laughs> and then Roland Orzabal, who for all intents and purposes had been putting out solo records under the moniker Tears for Fears mm-hmm. uh, in the nineties. <clears throat> Uh, in was it early two thousands? He finally put out a proper Roland Orzabal solo record. Two thousand one. It came out on nine eleven, and I remember I was in high school and I had to rush to get to a Best Buy before it closed. 
not to take away from the horrible, tragic yeah. events of that day, but that was like, I have to go before they close Best Buy. Did Best Buy have it? Yeah, they had it. That's a, exciting. They had a Didn't bunch have to of resort to Napster. And my friend Curtis Maldonado bought a new copy of the Babyface album. Oh, Babyface. How mm. exciting. I think you came out better on that end. So that's my terrible 9-11 story. Anyway. Um, <laughs> what is the name of the album? It's got a weird name. Tomcats Screaming Outside. Tomcats Screaming Outside. It's something. It's mm. something. I originally kind of lumped it in with, you know, Elemental and Raul, where I was just like, this isn't necessarily for me. It felt a lot more scattered than both of those records, too, and I think that still holds. Um... At the same time, this is, like, the heaviest stuff he's ever written, if that makes any sense. Yeah. In terms, like, musically and lyrically, it's just, like, it's a little bit dark. Mm -hmm. There's some serious, like, riffing going on. Um, Dandelion is the one, that's the one I can't, I can't do. I can't do It's because of the guitar. Yeah, the guitar is too much for me. Um, The butt rock riff, and then it's, like, filtered through, like, a Prodigy record or something. It's, Ah. it's, I, I cannot do Dandelion. I listened to the rest of the record for you, Steve, for you. And for the, the millions and millions of fans out there. I was not in love with it. But it's more interesting to me, like conceptually, than the Roland Orzabal Tears for Fears records, like Elemental and um, Raul. There's a lot of weird stuff going on there, and I know people were getting on me because it's like, oh, you need to stop comparing them to other bands, but it's, it's hard not to. Mm-hmm. And the one I keep going back to is Primal Scream. And the other reason why I couldn't really get into this is because this is around the time that Primal Scream was kind of having their career resurgence and they put out Evil Heat. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this record, because for some reason, like, British rock stars have the weird fixation on electronic music. Yeah, I was going to say, this is his most British album. Yeah, yeah. And when I hear, I don't know, like Miss Lucifer off of... Evil Heat, that seems like the realized version of what Roland Orzabal was going for on this record. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I think he misses the mark a little bit. But uh, A for effort? Yeah, I, I love Tomcat Screaming Outside. Um, I can kind of see what you mean by the butt rock riff <laughs> in, <laughs> in Dandelion. But I think also around that time, too, there were a lot of British acts that were kind of like gearing themselves towards a heavier sound especially in the early aughts Mm -hmm. um but i uh it's his it's a very it was a very it was very surprising that it was kind of an experimental album for him Mm -hmm. um the darker lyrics i know that he um he kind of like went into semi-retirement so he wasn't really writing a lot of material but then there was like a lot of death in his family and uh, that contributed to a lot of the material um i think it's the most interesting record he did um during that Tears for Fears hiatus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy it quite a bit. I think uh, it might be worth a few more spins if you're willing to give it another I, shot. I will give it a shot. I'm trying to find the song. Oh, not this one. This one's just weird. Hypnoculture? Hypnoculture. <laughs> yeah, Hypnoculture I kind of skip over. I mean, I although it's weird because like, I heard it in a Kodak commercial years later. A Kodak later. commercial. That's interesting. I think this is it. Low Life? Low Life. Maybe this is the one. Which was the single. I think this is it. Yeah, this definitely has like a early 2000s Primal Screen mm-hmm. vibe to it. Um, I know a lot of the comparison 
at least not that there was a lot of press about this album. There's hardly any, but mm-hmm. I remember reading somewhere at the time that they were comparing it to Moby at the time too. Oh yeah, I can definitely see that. I this know, like too. Moby's play. Oh, bullets for brains. Yeah, which I think is like probably the big fan favorite of this record, um, which is like a very like I don't want to say Thomas Paine, <laughs> but like very satirical song about. Um, the hypocrisy in the uh, not maybe not Christian faith, but uh, mm-hmm. or the evangelical faith, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a barn burn. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's like I said, there's some interesting stuff on here, and it didn't it didn't really grab me, but um, there's some cool stuff. Like I think Ticket to the World too has mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of cool parts to it. Yeah, and the parts that I don't like uh, when it just like turns into like a full out rocker. Um, <laughs> At least that you could tell he's trying something a little bit different. Um, just again, even with like the mixing, the album, the instrumentation, stuff like that. So you know, it's something. It's something to check out. I think if you've been following along with us and you're starting to get into music, I'd say if you're gonna branch out and you're going to listen to one Tears for Fears solo record, this is probably the one to look at. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that. I think we pretty much hit everything. I know we, we we mentioned like possibly talking about more B-sides, but I think... Did you uh, check out any of the other Kurt Smith solo albums? No, I just... I listened to... What's it called? Like, Soul for Sale? So, or, soul on Board. Yeah, whatever. Um, I listened to that, and I was just like, no, no. What? Could, do you have anything to say about the other Kurt Smith solo record? Yeah, well, there's... um Between Raul and the Kings of Spain, Tomcat, Scream Outside, uh, Kurt Smith came out with the Mayfield Project which was him and Charlton Pettis who wound up working with them on Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Um, and that's a much more satisfying release. Uh, mm-hmm. It definitely has like a very late 90s alt-rock vibe to it. Okay. Um, but definitely worth seeking out. Um, I will say, though, that like there's definitely two camps. Like There's, I think, maybe the Roland Orzabal camp and the Kurt Smith camp. I've always been more in the Roland Orzabal camp. Mm-hmm. At least as far as like what material material I seek out, but um, I know we talked about who you are, the song that's on Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Kurt mm-hmm. Smith recorded that for his Halfway Pleased album. He's released a lot more material on his own, and you can find it all. It's all streaming on like Bandcamp, or you can go buy it from his website. I think. Oh. Um, I um, personally haven't even delved into his most recent solo album, which is already two years old. Oh, wow. So, uh, Tears for Fears hasn't been putting out records, but Kurt Smith has been putting out solo material. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, Deceptively Heavy, um, which, I mean, the material I've heard is definitely great. I'm probably outing myself as a terrible fan by saying, like, I haven't gotten that into it uh-oh, yet. But, uh-oh, uh-oh. I thought you were the super fan. Hey, at least I know it's... Dude, that would have been the ultimate twist if I actually did listen to all this stuff. You I was just, just like, oh, you haven't, you haven't heard this song? <laughs> oh, wow, I thought you were a fan. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, not gonna... Well. <laughs> Alright, well, I think this is, about, this is a good spot to kind of wrap things up here. Uh, I want to say that I was very hesitant to start this Tears for Fears journey. It was daunting, the idea of sort of just listening to one record for a week straight, which is basically what I did mm-hmm. to really kind of digest these different albums. And then, you know, going to see a band live where we had to drive through like three states to get there. And it was just like, it was a huge investment, a huge undertaking. I didn't know if this was going to work. I was terrified that I'd be like, I hate this band. 
and we wouldn't go anywhere, and then people would yell at me on the internet. Uh, but thankfully, I like Tears for Fears, and people are still yelling at me on the internet. But uh, uh, me too. You know, regardless, <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed this. So, you know what, Steve? You've done it. I'm a Tears for Fears fan. I really, really like this band, which is something a few months ago I don't think I ever would have said. So, thank you. Thank you for bringing me to fandom. It's so nice to be doing this and making eye contact with you, by the way. I know, instead of like doing it across Skype. Which is, if you've noticed, if you're sitting at home and you're like, why does this sound weird this time? It's because we're in my dining room. And we're actually sitting face-to-face. It's a nice mm-hmm. change of pace. Yeah. Well, thanks for going on this journey with me. I, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely uh, something I've always wanted to do for a long time, but sure. never knew quite how to do it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and thanks everybody for listening, and I'm sure we'll be back whenever, um, Something that happens. new record comes out. They put out a new record, we'll come on here and we'll talk about it. So, if you want to keep following us, though, you can, because we do other podcasts. Uh, so if you haven't already, go to iTunes, okay? Go to the podcast section, search for Optimism Vaccine. Okay, that's that's our podcast network and our website and everything. Go to the Optimism Vaccine page, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, rate us, write a review. It helps us out immensely. Uh, when you guys rate us and write reviews, it increases our searchability. More people can discover us. More people can hear this podcast. More people can become Cheers for Fears fans. Uh, we also do uh, a bunch of different podcasts about movies, television, uh, video games. We cover Basically, any kind of weird left-to-center, popular culture, fringe culture stuff. That's all on OptimismVaccine.com. You can also check out our work for the Shepherd Express on ShepherdExpress.com. And, of course, if you want to still email us, if you want to follow us on Twitter, that'd be awesome. I've had a lot of fun interacting with you guys. On Twitter, you can follow our main website account, at OptimismVaccine, or you can follow us individually. I'm at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve, C-U-F-F. And I am at Colmania, that is at K-O-H-L-M-A-N-I-A. Yeah, so follow us on Twitter. We'll be your pal. Uh, and you can also email us. If you have any questions, you just want to say hi, you want to tell me why I'm wrong about Soul on Board. No, it'll just be try. an empty mailbox. <laughs> an empty mailbox. <laughs> OptimismVaccine at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, it's been great. Come to Milwaukee. We'll drink a beer and listen to Mad World with you. All right. Unless you're a creeper or weirdo, then it's not going to happen. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>